you have a Bible with you, if you would turn to the second letter of Peter. We've been looking at, uh, since earlier in the year, uh, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. We're going to be finishing uh, that off in the next couple of weeks. We're not necessarily going to go all the way through 2 Peter. Uh, We'll be taking some parts of it. Um, Ken's going to be uh, preaching next Sunday. And then the Sunday after that, Chris is going to come and share And uh, so we're excited to hear about that. And then we're going into a new series in the summer, which we think you'll enjoy and uh, which God is going to speak to us and be with us in uh, as we're having our one service all the way through the summer, 10 o'clock. So don't be showing up at nine o'clock and whatever, unless you want to have your own time together, which is equally fine. You can come and pray with us if you want to, but there will not be a service here until 10 o'clock from uh, June the 9th all the way through the summer. So to Peter. A couple of weeks ago, John Micklefield um, shared a little bit out of the first few verses. And he was talking about what was on Peter's heart when he wrote. Peter is uh, very near the end of his life. It's probably around AD 60, 65, up towards 70. He's probably in Rome. Uh, He's writing from Rome. And uh, he knows that his end is near. In fact, at the end of the passage we're going to look at, he says, my departure... Um, it's going to be coming soon, uh, as, as the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So he knows the end is coming for him. And here he is, the, one of the apostles who was closest to Jesus, coming to the end of his life. All these Christians that are all out there now in different churches, in different places, uh, around the known world at the time. And he wants to write to them, and he wants to share with them what's on his heart right at the end of his life here. And so it's important, obviously, what he writes. I mean, all of the Bible is important. But when you're reading somebody's last words, you know you pay particular attention to that in terms of what they're saying and what they mean to be saying. And so as John was saying a couple of weeks ago, Peter's uh, first, uh, first motivation for writing was that he wanted the people who was reading, uh, all the Christians scattered around the known world, to know that what they have in Jesus is the real deal. I don't know if you remember that, John preaching about that. He's the real deal. He really is. They can put their faith in Jesus and it's going to be okay. Whatever seems to be happening in the world around them, whatever seems to be happening in their own lives, and things have got worse for them recently. There's trouble in Rome. There's trouble in Jerusalem. There's trouble in between. And so things have become more tense for them, more difficult for them. But he says to them, listen, you hold on to Jesus because Jesus is the real deal. And so he explained out of all of that, firstly, that real faith is knowing about a person. It's knowing Jesus Christ personally. It's not about some religion that you learn a whole load of uh, notes about and, and points about and everything else. It's about a person. It's about knowing God through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, meeting him and knowing him. And secondly, real faith is encountering God's power. God's power at work in our lives. And so we're going to pick up from where John left off. He went to verse, uh, to the end of verse 2. And we're going to read from verse 3 all the way down to 15. And if you want to follow that along, uh, you can do it in your, uh, on your Bibles, on your apps or whatever. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. And if you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen behind me. So this is from verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises, 
so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, you will be richly provided for. There will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And we're so grateful that Peter did take every effort, because we're able to recall them as we read them this morning, 2,000 years later. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And it leads us, Lord, in your paths that are the right paths. And I pray you'd speak to us. Speak to us through your word today. Holy Spirit, minister life to us through the word, we pray. And encourage our hearts after Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Peter started off by saying to these Christians, the faith that you have is the real deal. In fact, he says something really amazing at the beginning. He says, to those of you who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Do you know your faith is of equal standing with Peter the Apostle? Thank you, Marv. It's the same standing. It's amazing. Our faith that we have, that God has given us, that we have in him, it's the same standing as Peter the Apostle and John and all the others. And he said, it's the real deal. You can trust this Jesus. If you take him as your savior, if you take him as your Lord. And now he goes on from that because he wants to explain to us and the Holy Spirit wants to explain to us something else about how we then shall live. He explains to us that God is not just a God who wants us to know that God is the real deal. But we have a God who wants us to know that we are the real deal. And that we can grow into becoming the real deal. Just like Jesus was. In fact, we can grow into being like Jesus because that's what God wants for us. And when you understand, I remember, I can't remember where I was when I first read these verses, but I I remember how impacted I was by them. Even as a young man, just reading these verses. His divine power, the power of the almighty God, has granted to us all things, everything that pertain to life and godliness. God has given us everything we need to live life and to live a godly life. Everything. It's amazing. 
And his power has done that. Through the knowledge of him, he says, and we know Jesus, Peter knew knew Jesus, he saw him, and we can find out about Jesus and who Jesus is in the Bible. We can gain knowledge about God through the scriptures from beginning to end. He says, through our knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That's an amazing thing to say. God has called us into his glory and into his excellence. God is not wanting to be so high and removed from us, his glory up there. And we're always looking and saying, God is so much higher than us, which he is. And we will never attain to that. We always live somewhere beneath that. We always live somewhere where we we feel guilty and condemned and we feel like we're not adding up. And, And Peter says, no, no, wait a minute. You have a God who wants to draw you up into his own glory and excellence. I was reading this last year in, on my sabbatical and I asked the Lord, I said, well, Lord, it says in your Bible that you won't give your glory to another. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Peter, you are not another. You're not somebody else disconnected from God who's trying to build a God in their own image. You are a child of God. You are God's child. You have his nature within you. You have his heart within you. He has put his spirit within you. When God shares his glory with you, he's not sharing it with another. He's sharing it with his own. And God wants to share his glory with you. He wants to share his nature with you. He wants to share his excellence with you. He goes on to say... He's granted us precious and very great promises. This is a promise right here that he's calling us to his own glory and excellence. Amazing promises, precious promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We have a problem, don't we, about coming into the glory and excellence of God. It's not God's problem. God doesn't have a problem with it. He wants it to happen. It's our problem. And it's that nature in us that takes us away from who God is. That wants to go in the opposite direction. When God says, do this, we don't want to do it. When he says, don't do this, that's what we want to do. The Bible calls it our sinful nature. And it always takes us away from God. And not just God, it takes us away from the calling of God on our lives. The calling to live in the glory and the excellence that God wants us to have. That sinful nature will take us away from becoming who God wants us to be. And underneath who we actually want to be. And God knows that. He says this sinful nature is a corrupt sinful nature. And it's in the world and it's around us. And it will always take us away. So something has to happen with that sinful nature. Something has to happen inside of us to enable us to move into what God has. And this is the wonderful thing of the gospel. Because when Jesus came and he died on a cross for us, he didn't just take the penalty for our sin and get rid of all the sin that was in our lives and all the wrong things that he have done, we have done. But he broke the power of sin in our life by the Holy Spirit. Sin is no longer our taskmaster. The devil is no longer our taskmaster. He can crack a whip and he can say to you, you must jump when I jump. And if we believe him, we'll jump. But we don't have to jump. 
We belong to another master now. We belong to another king. We don't have to do what the devil tells us to do. We don't have to do what sin tells us to do. And in our own natures now, a wonderful thing has happened because by the power of the Holy Spirit, God has implanted in us his own nature. That's what he says here. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness so that we may become partakers of the divine nature. Do you know that you have the divine inside of you? Have you grasped that? You have the divine nature of God inside of you. And if we walk according to that nature and we walk with God as he works in our lives, he will take us away from the corruption of our sinful nature and the wrong things and he will move us towards the destiny that God has for us, which is to fill us as his sons and daughters with his glory and with his excellence. So that we become like the very Jesus who we want to be. As children, sons and daughters of the living God. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? So Peter says, because that's what God wants to do in your life, what do we have to do to partner with God in that process? God started it. God provided salvation. God came to us. God drew us to himself. We're all here in this room today because Jesus drew us here, whether we know it or not. He's begun this process and he who's begun a good work in us, the Bible says, is going to bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. He who is able to keep us from falling, is able to present us before the throne of God, righteous, pure, holy. That's what God wants to do in us. How do we walk with God so that that process gets worked out in us and we become all that God wants us to be? And this is where Peter explains to us what needs to happen in our lives to be able to partner with God. Look at verse 5. For this very reason, he says, because God wants to do all of this in you, make every effort. We have to do something. We have to work with God as he works with us. He's the primary worker. Nothing's going to happen without God. But we can actually resist what God's doing. If we're going to live in our sinful nature and go back to our sinful nature, we will resist what God's doing and we will just go round and round in circles like the Israelites did for 40 years in the desert. But if we will walk with God and if we will work with God, then something else is going to happen to your destiny and my destiny. It does not have to happen like that. We do not have to go round and round and round the same things over and over again, get tripped up by the same things over and over and over again and never get free. We don't have to live like that because God is doing something in our hearts to set us free. And we can work with God as he works with us. So what does he say to do? Make every effort, he says, to supplement or add to your faith virtue. And virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, steadfastness or faithfulness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Now, I'm not going to go through all of this list today. Don't have time to unpack it all. But I'm just going to do the bits at the beginning and the end because every part is important, but it's important where you begin and it's important you know where you're going. So we're just going to do the first bit and the last bit. And it's partly because as I was working through this and God was speaking to me about this a year ago, these are the bits that most spoke to me into my life. God spoke into me about some things and he's been speaking to me about the same things all the way through this last year. So let's begin here where Peter begins. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Once you understand who Jesus is 
and you receive him as the Lord and the Savior of your life. Move on from there and add on to that supplemented virtue. What does that word mean? Well, if you look at it in the Greek, it's exactly the same word that Peter uses back in verse 3. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. It's the same Greek word. You can translate it as excellence or virtue. When you think about virtue, you tend to think of someone who is upstanding, who's a good citizen, who's a good person, who's virtuous. That's what you tend to think about. Pure. Make good choices in life. Do good things. That's, that's a virtuous person. In other words, they're morally excellent in how they live. Their character is excellent. But this word for excellence in the Greek language was used for much more than that. It was used to describe the strength of a, of a, a champion weightlifter. Or, or the, the speed of, of foot of a champion runner. Or maybe the power of a warhorse or something like that. So it wasn't just used to describe moral excellence and making good choices and and having good character. It was actually used as every part of life. You could be excellent and virtuous in, in sowing. You could be excellent and virtuous in fishing. You could grow into excellence in all of these different areas. Not just spiritually, not just morally, not just relationally, but in every area of our lives. And Peter says, to add to your faith, excellence. Why start with excellence? That's a funny place to start. I was watching, as I was reading through this, and it was totally other. I wasn't connecting it to what I was reading. So I was on my sabbatical last year. And, but I was watching a motivational speech by the chief of the Navy SEALs. In the states, so these are people who are uh, sort of creme de la creme, the top of fighting forces, uh, excellent, obviously, at what they do. And he's explaining how they develop these soldiers to be who they end up becoming, being able to do what they do with excellence. And he says it starts first thing in the morning, and it starts with anybody know what it starts with? Sorry. Exercise, before exercise, devotions, well that would be a good place to start if they were Christians. He didn't start with devotions, but that would be a good place to start. Where would he start? Making your bed. He said we start with making your bed. And we teach them how to make their bed right. And I'm sitting there listening thinking, yeah I've heard of stories of this. (laughs) I know what this is all about. But then he explained why he did it and why they do it. And he said this, he said, because if you make your bed right in the morning, if you do the first thing you do with excellence, you will lay a foundation for doing things with excellence all the way through the day. If you start off half-hearted, sloppy, lazy, just throw it around the place or whatever, you've laid a foundation of something else for your day which won't lead you into excellence. Now, I wish I knew that phrase when I was growing our kids up. Why you do what you do. It's helpful to explain to people why you do what you do, isn't it? As parents, to explain for your kids what the moral reason is behind why you're doing what you're doing. If you start the day with excellence, it lays the foundation for everything else you're going to do through the day to be done with excellence. Peter starts by the Holy Spirit with excellence. Because everything else that's come, gaining knowledge, right? Gaining self-control steadfastness, perseverance, that faithfulness, godliness, 
brotherly affection, love. If you do all, if you start with excellence, all of those other things are going to be done with excellence. You're going to grow in excellence. And then you suddenly discover that you're partaking with the divine nature of God that's already in us. And the glory and excellence of God is beginning to shine through us in greater and greater ways. So Peter starts with excellence. But if you're like me when I read that, it doesn't take me long to get really discouraged. Because I think, there we go again. That's big bar up here that I'll never be able to reach. I can never make it. I can never get there. Don't know if you live like that. But I want to tell you a couple of things about this excellence that might help you. Because this is not meant to be a weight to you. This is meant to be a releasing thing to you. Okay? So let me explain this to you a little bit. The first is this, and it's right here in the text. We've already mentioned that this word virtue or excellence has been mentioned before. And it's saying that God is calling us to his own glory and excellence. And so the first thing we can see about this is that God has already given us his excellence. It's in us. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ... And you've invited him in to be your Savior and Lord. An amazing miracle has taken place. God has sent his power from heaven to us to birth in us his own divine nature. And in that nature is glory and excellence. It's in us. It's already there by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be born again. To be born from above. To be a new creation. Because you really are a new creation. You have a new nature. And it's God's nature. So we have to be careful sometimes what we confess. Somebody was, was talking to somebody the other day. And we were sharing about where we were at with different things in our lives. And, and I can't remember what we were talking about. Devotions or something like that. And the person said, yeah, you know what? I've just been lazy with my devotions. And I thought, well, that's good. It's good to be real. It's good to be honest. You've been lazy with your devotions. But is that the end of your confession? I'm just lazy. Really? Is that what you were born again for? Is that what the new nature is? Is that what the new creation is? I'm just lazy? Or is that a confession about my old nature, which may be a true confession? But let's finish that confession with a better confession. Yes, you know what? Today I was lazy and yesterday I was lazy with my devotions. But you know what? I have the spirit of excellence in me by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's alive in me. And I don't have to live the way my sinful nature tells me to live because Jesus Christ is in me and his anointing and his power is over me. And I can participate with what God is going to do in my life. And he can lead me out of this place into a different place of living. Be careful what we confess. Let's not just confess the wrongs of our sinful nature. Let's confess the glories of our new nature that God has given us. Amen. So the first thing about this excellence is that God has already given us his excellence. The second thing about this excellence is it's different from what we understand as perfectionism. I don't know if you live like I've sometimes lived and can get under there as well very quickly, which is that you can get to the end of a day and you look back over the list of your day and you think, here's the places where I just didn't add up. 
I didn't make it right here, I didn't make it right there, I messed up here, I didn't make the bar here, and whatever. And you, you go to bed with that, and you wake up the next morning with it. I guess whatever I've got on my list today, I'm going to be missing it. I'm going to not make the grade, I'm going to make the bar or whatever. And you have this bar of expectation that seems to be an immovable bar of expectation that's always too high for you to reach. That's perfectionism. That's the law. That's not what the Holy Spirit is encouraging us into here. Excellence is different. Excellence isn't a single bar up here that can't be moved. Excellence can move from one place to another depending on where you are and your maturity and, and how much you are and uh, how much you uh, experience and knowledge you have and all of those sorts of things. You can be having a really bad day. You know God knows that we're dust. God understands that we're weak in our frame. He doesn't set a bar up here that we're always jumping for and never managing to reach. God only ever asks us to do what he enables us to do. He wants us to be successful. He wants us to be able to reach the goals that he makes, he puts in front of us. And he empowers us by his Holy Spirit and he gives us his divine nature to help us to do those things. Perfectionism will always leave you short. Perfectionism will always leave you feeling like you're messing up and you're not adding up. Perfectionism will always leave you despondent, despairing, and eventually it'll demotivate you, deflate you, and take the life out of you. But excellence comes by grace. Grace in God's power, grace in God's nature. And if we will walk with him in it and work with him in it, we will discover that the power of God's grace through excellence can break the power of perfectionism in our life. You can go to bed every night at peace with God. Because Jesus is enough. Right? And we're in Christ. He makes the grade every day. Doesn't he? Does Jesus ever fail to make the grade? No, he makes the grade every day and you're in Christ and I'm in Christ. And when we can go to bed at night, we can say, Lord, you know what? I didn't, uh, I didn't do this right today. I didn't do that right today. And every, whatever. But you know what, Lord? I'm in Christ and Christ makes the grade today. And I'm going to live in who you are in me and not out of my sinful nature and trying to keep up with the law and tick all the boxes and make myself feel good because I've made everything right and I present great and I look great and everybody thinks in the world that I'm great. That's a burden that I cannot carry. It's going to break me down and it's going to kill me. I want to be free, Lord. I want to be free to fail. I want to be free to give some things a go. You know, we have a Canadian team in the NBA basketball finals. Yeah, come on. Oh, Canada. You might not be basketball freaks. But you don't win basketball games by trying to play perfectly. Wasn't it Wayne Gretzky who says you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take? You've got to give life a go. You are going to mess up sometimes. We are dust. We are frail. God knows that. It's not a surprise to him. It's only a surprise to us. Oh, I messed up. That's terrible. It's not a surprise to God. But he has already provided for us a way out through the power of Jesus Christ and the cross and his power at work within us. The hope of glory in our hearts. That's who Jesus is. So don't live under the bondage of perfectionism. 
but be free to live every day for the glory of God to the best of your ability to the Lord, which is what excellence is. might look different every day. And if you mess up, repent with excellence and be free. Amen? It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, do not let yourself be yoked again with a bond of slavery. Don't let it happen to you. I'm running out of time here. Do I go with the love piece, Ken, or do I close it now? Are you okay to bear with me a little longer? There's some tomatoes in bags at the back, if you'd like to. For lunch to take home. Or you can whip them at the preacher. I used to do a lot of street preaching. Yes. I had some experiences. One day I was preaching downtown by the Air Canada building and I got to the important part of the gospel and this guy, big guy, sitting in front of us on the crowd there on the streets in, in the Air Canada building, shot up off of his seat, ran at me and grabbed me by the throat, tried to strangle me like this. Thankfully, A.J. Frank was around and he helped me. <laughs> I needed help at that moment in time. Starts, Peter starts. He said, when you've got faith, add to that excellence. Do everything well. Do it to the glory of God. But don't don't crucify yourself if you mess up. There's already been someone crucified. Only one crucifixion necessary, and it's not yours. Jesus did it, right? Start with that, but go somewhere. Where are we going? He says, we're going to love. That's where we're going. That's the end of this journey. It's a wonderful journey, right? We start with faith. We end up with love. We do everything in between with excellence as we move from one to the other. But Peter explains to us here two types of love. He finishes off with them. Brotherly affection and from brotherly affection, love. What are those two types of love? What do they mean and how do they apply to us? Well, Peter understood these two types of love very clearly because we know from his history that Jesus taught him this lesson. There are these two types of love. There are a number of different types of love mentioned in the Bible. But these two particularly, brotherly affection is obviously that, that love that brothers and sisters have for each other. You know, you can have a good fight, but you, you make up because you're brothers and sisters. And you, somebody gets on the phone and, and there's trouble, you, you're there for them, right? You, you walk alongside them. You, you support them. You do what you can to encourage them. Good brother and sister relationship. Okay? That's brotherly affection. The love that Peter mentions at the end here is the word agape or agape. It's a different type of love. It's a love that's entirely selfless in its giving. Gives without any demand for reimbursement. Just gives away whatever it costs, whatever needs to happen, whatever they can do, they do for the person that they love. Even if nothing ever comes back to them. That's agape, agape love. And humans don't have that type of love by ourselves. It just, we just don't do that. Our human nature has self at the core of it. And even the love that we give sometimes wants something back. Selfish. But it's the love that's in the heart of God. Right from the beginning, before the foundation of the earth... 
God's heart towards you was agape love. And it hasn't changed because of your performance. God has not and cannot stop loving you with agape love. Right from before the foundation of time, when he saw you in the spirit, he saw you and he knew you. Even before you were a seed in your mother's womb, he set his heart on you. Yes, you, everybody in this room. Nobody can say, no, not me, God. No, you as well. Everybody in this room. God set his heart on you and he saw you. He saw your unformed body, the psalmist says in, in, in Psalm 139. And he loved you. He loved you with agape love, which meant when his thoughts towards you were, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, whatever I need to lay down, whatever I can give up to make sure that this child of mine becomes all that I want them to be and they have the fullness of joy and glory that I've called them into, that's what I'm going to do. And when Jesus came to this earth, he exemplified that. He gave up all the rights and the privileges of being the divine God in heaven as a son of God. And he came down into the smallest little seed to be born in Mary's womb. He gave up it all, whatever he had, whatever it cost. He lived his life that way. The way he gave himself for people every day, it blows my mind how he does it. There's this story of him with, with Simon Peter's mother-in-law. He's at his wife's house and the mother-in-law is there and, or his whole mother-in-law is there and mother-in-law is sick and, and the, the gospels tell us that Jesus prayed for the mother-in-law and she was healed and word of it got out around the place. And it got to evening time and he's been there, he's been teaching, he's been praying for people, he's been ministering to people, he's been at it all day and you look out of the door and there's a lineup of people that goes all the way up the street and over the hills and far away. People came from the whole district around, brought all their sick, all the demon-possessed, everybody that was troubled in whatever way, they brought them to Jesus. My love runs out at that point. God's love is just getting going. We used to sing a hymn in the old Anglican church that I was at. at even, evening tide when the sun was set, the sick, O Lord, around thee lay. Oh, in what diverse pain they met. Oh, with what joy they went away. Why did they go away with joy? Just because they had a limb where they didn't have one before? Oh, that'll give you joy. Because they could walk where they couldn't walk before? That will give you joy. They could see where they couldn't see. They had demons cast away. They had darkness broken, mental illnesses cured. Those will all give you joy. But you know the greatest joy I'm sure those people had? was that they met agape love for the first time in their lives. Real, true agape love. It didn't matter if you were the first in queue to Jesus or you were the last, the thousands down the line. He treated you all the same, with the same love. He gave you the same attention, the same affection, the same love. He poured it out again and 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 again. That is agape love. That's what took him to the cross where he poured out everything he had left for you and for me. And Peter says, you start with faith. You add excellence. You take you through this journey as you add excellence. But the aim where you're going is agape love. And if you're like me again, you think, well, Lord, that rules me out. Well, it does. 
in your human nature. But it doesn't in your divine nature. Right? You have agape love in you to give. Because you have Jesus in you to give. Right? And what seems like such a high bar we can never reach it. It's possible because the divine nature is God is in us by his divine power. And he is going to help us into that place. And you go through life and you get stretched. Why am I being stretched? And Why am I being asked to go the extra mile? And What's going on here? And I, I, I'm going to collapse. I'm going to fall apart. Well, maybe you might. And it, you certainly have to look after yourself at times. I've learned that lesson in my life too. But sometimes it's God saying, no, Peter, there's more. There's more of me in you than you realize. There's more of my love in you than you understand. There's more of my power in you than you understand. You can live in agape love because I am in you. And I want to live my love through you. That's what Peter offers us. And the Holy Spirit offers us. That we can be partakers of the divine nature. And then he goes on and he says, listen, there's great riches and rewards. You're going to be fruitful. You're going to be effective if you live like this. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. There's a promise. And in this way, there will be richly provided for you in an entrance into the eternal kingdom. When you go into the eternal kingdom, there's going to be richness and riches that are opening up for you. You're going to have a wealthy entrance into heaven because you have invested so much in, uh, on the earth here while you were walking with me. So where are you this morning on this journey? Where are you on this journey with Peter and with the disciples and everybody who's been 2,000 years since who's given their lives to Jesus, made him Savior and Lord of their lives? Where are we, we at? Have we added to our faith excellence? Or do we stumble over that because we felt it was like perfection and we just couldn't do it and we didn't want to go there? Well, maybe it's time to say, you know what, Lord, yeah, I reject that law of perfectionism and everything else, but I embrace the God of excellence. I embrace excellence in my life. I want to do everything excellent from the first thing in the morning to the last thing at night. And I pray you'd help me to do that, to live for the glory and the honor of your name. Maybe you might be here this morning and thinking, you know, I don't have any more love left to give. I gave it all out and got squashed, trampled on. That's it. I'm done. Well, in the natural, that may be true. But if you have Jesus in your heart, and if you invite Jesus into your heart, you have a well of agape love in you that you can never get to the bottom of. Right? How high, how wide, how deep, how long is the love of God? The universe can't contain it, can it? You have that in Jesus. You have access to who God really is. Because God wants to share his glory and his excellence with us and through us.